everyone is different. And that's especially true when you're working with people from different backgrounds, like ethnic backgrounds, different countries, just because the culture is different. And I think working with people from different backgrounds, you actually have to go into each situation with a willingness to listen, really be open to the conversation that's being had, and really be mindful of what you're saying and what the actions you're doing and how is that going to affect people. And another thing too is just because you've said something that doesn't mean it was understood the way that you wanted it to be. So it's very important to confirm what you said was actually understood in the way that you meant it to be. Hello everyone and welcome to the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Liddy Bugelman. This podcast is made for those who want to develop or strengthen the communication skills, cultural savvy, insights into current trends and conditions, and mindsets that are essential in a Japanese business environment. The helpful, practical suggestions and engaging insights offered here provide listeners with the in-depth cultural context needed to achieve their own version of success while collaborating with Japanese counterparts. In today's episode, I get to share a conversation that I had with Rosa Eldridge. Rosa is an American who has had her full professional working history in Japan, and she is passionate about creating sustainable culture practices while promoting Japanese hospitality to the world. She is currently working in an environment that deals with event planning and promoting international understanding, and she has successfully navigated job searching in Japan and has held a variety of positions through various companies and institutions in the country. But before we get to hear more from Rosa, let's go over a little bit of Japanese. In the previous episode, we learned the word for lawyer. Bengoshi. 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 Today, I want to introduce a word that comes up in my conversation with Rosa. Kyujin. Kyujin. Kyujin is a word that means recruiting or job offer. Rosa discusses her past experience with gyaku kyujin websites, which uses the word gyaku or reverse as a prefix, which makes the resulting word gyaku kyujin something along the lines of reverse recruiting. Be sure to check out the description of the episode if you'd like to see the kanji used in these terms. Hello, my name is Rosa Aldrich. I am from Ohio State in the United States of America, but I'm currently here in Tokyo, Japan. And can you tell us a little bit more about your history with Japan? Actually, my history with Japan is actually quite long, so I don't know if you really want to go in too much detail, but just kind of giving you a brief overview. So I've actually been living in Japan now for almost nine years. I've actually have worked at around four jobs so far in Japan. Um, and actually, I've never actually worked in the United States. Um, my whole professional career is in Japan. But my kind of jumping off point with Japan actually started when I was in high school, where I hosted um, Japanese exchange students. Um, and that kind of, how can I say, experience actually helped me really to kind of find my career path. And I know that's really hard for a lot of people when they're just starting out, you know, in high school and like, what do you really want to do with your future? And I was very fortunate to have an exchange student who, you know, after the experience, I just felt like, man, 
if I could speak Japanese, I could probably help other people have really good experiences abroad and just kind of be that bridge in between. I know that's a little cliche to say, but that's really kind of what set me off on trying to learn Japanese and getting to Japan. Perfect. So you mentioned that you've had four jobs in Japan, but could you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now? Yes. So right now I'm actually working at a company called Hapoen. It is traditionally a wedding and mice event venue. We also have a 400-year-old Japanese garden, but in my particular case, I am the, well, now I'm technically the global communications manager. Just last week, our team name actually just changed. Originally it was promotion and marketing, but from this new quarter, our kind of team names have all changed. So now I'm in charge of global communications. And what my team actually does is handle all of the translations for the company. Uh, we also make short videos for promotional purposes, whether it's uh, introducing staff, events, or even projects that the company is currently undertaking. That's just to name a few. <laughs> Perfect. I know that the stereotype in Japan is that, at least for Japanese people, you graduate from university, you enter the job market, you preferably stay at one company for your whole career. But that's obviously not the path that you took <laughs> in Japan. <Yeah. laughs> so do you have any advice for people who might feel a little daunted by the idea of having to navigate a career in Japan, just based yes. on your experiences? Yeah. Well, I will say, first of all, job hunting in Japan is nothing like in the States. Japan actually has, I don't know if you, if you know, but um, there's an actual kind of season, job hunting season, that most new graduates will take part in. Now, for me, I actually graduated from the uh, university in the States. And I was very fortunate to be offered a job right away after college. I had actually made connections through um, my exchange program that I participated in during my junior year. And they offered me a job. So I was very fortunate to not have to go through the stress of the actual job hunting process necessarily my first time. But from my second and third time changing my jobs, I definitely learned a lot that's not actually covered in school necessarily. So there are things such as, you know, you have your resume, but then there's an even more detailed resume or actually learning what is the ways to enter a room for, you know, an interview and things like that. So I was maybe not fortunate at first <laughs> when I changed my jobs, but over time, I actually learned a lot just from trial and error. And actually, at one point in my career, I've actually now worked as a, a career counselor. So the current trend, actually, you had mentioned, you know, many people would join a company and just stay there forever. But now the current trend is actually changing. A lot of younger people now are changing jobs quite frequently. And that's just because, you know, maybe the job they, they join first, the company, it's not really suited to them. Or maybe the job, what it entails, wasn't actually what they thought they were going to be doing. And then they have maybe a, a, their passion lies elsewhere. And so they just want to change their job. And that's kind of the same thing that happened with me. My first job actually was only a contract. So after two years, there was no, no possibility to renew. So I had to find a new job. So I actually moved from Iwate Prefecture to Tokyo, um, and I had done all my job hunting before I moved, so I did everything online. I did, I used a lot of the online search 
engines, like career cross, die job, those type of things. But I think something that maybe foreigners might not be aware of is actually something called Yaku Kyujin. Do you know what that is, maybe? I haven't heard of that one. Okay, so Yaku Kyujin actually is where it's very similar to LinkedIn. You write your resume and you post it up and companies that are interested in you will actually contact you directly and they'll say, hey, we read your resume. We think you'd be perfect for this position. Would you be interested in coming in for an interview? And that's actually how I got my, my current job. So I've used you know, recruiters in the past. That's actually how I was able to get my, my third job. But kind of if you really want to do it on your own, I really recommend something like Yaku Kyujin sites that are similar to LinkedIn. It's a, it's a very smooth process. There's just a lot there that people clearly aren't very familiar with. I hadn't even heard of that before, but yeah, a lot of points came up that I'd love to discuss, but just going back to what you said about the connections that you made that got you your first job, how Mm -hmm. did that work out for you? How did you cultivate those connections? So one advice I would give to anyone is always make the most of every opportunity that presents itself to you. Now, when I was on study abroad, one of the things we were able to choose kind of like the different activities that we'd participate in. And I was very fortunate to kind of say, oh, I'll go help with the, you know, assistant language teacher for three days out of the week when I'm not in university classes. And I worked really hard during that time. And I was very fortunate that I had actually met some of the Morioka Board of Education members And they were able to see how I interacted during my kind of volunteer time. And they thought I did such a swell job that they were just like, hey, when you graduate, do you want to come back? And I immediately said, yes. (laughs) So I went back for two years. So I think cultivating relationships with people and again, making the most of every opportunity is very crucial, especially if you want to navigate a very long career in Japan you would be so surprised the different kind of opportunities that arise just by maybe taking five minutes out of your day to go help somebody. And then it turns around and it's an amazing experience later on down the road. So I definitely think it's important to kind of foster the relationships that we make with people and really utilize and take advantage of the opportunities that come up along the way. So then you mentioned also that you used a recruiter to find another job. Just my impressions, just based on what I've seen on LinkedIn in particular, is a lot of recruiting jobs are leaned more towards IT, other tech forms of work. But how did recruiting work out for you? So I did probably what everyone has done before. I've worked with, you know, several recruiters at once and To be honest, I think it's really important to really know what you want to do and really ask yourself, like, what is it I like to do every day? Will I find fulfillment in this type of work? Can I actually see myself doing this type of work for a long period of time? And will I enjoy this? So when I kind of asked myself those questions, I found that I was more towards kind of like the humanities type of jobs. So kind of going back to my original reason for wanting to learn Japanese and come to Japan. So when I was meeting with these recruiters, I would just honestly tell them, you know, I really want to help people. I want to use my language ability. I want to do these types of things. And 
one job that really stuck out with me um, actually during my university years, um, I had actually worked as an office aide for the Japan study office at our university. So they handled all of the exchange student information and kind of setting up exchange programs. But I had really enjoyed that type of work. And so I just said, you know, if there was ever a university kind of office work position that came available, I would really love to work in that type of environment. And it was just, I got, I have to say probably luck at that moment, the career recruit, the, the recruiter actually contacted me probably within a few days and was like, Hey, I actually found a university position. Are you interested? And honestly, like the, the position itself, I was like, yes, that is, that is what I want to do. And I was very nervous because it was also my very first time actually interviewing with a strictly Japanese company. And so I would, I would message all of my friends, my Japanese friends and my senpai and just be like, how can I better prepare this? Um, and honestly, there's a lot of material on the web too, that you can utilize to, whether it's to prepare yourself for interviews or how to enter and exit a room, how to sit. So I really recommend that for people that are thinking to kind of take on interviews and job hunting in Japan to really utilize those online resources if they don't have kind of connections in Japan already where they can ask these questions. But I was very fortunate, truly, I don't think I worked with the recruiter that long because after we had the interview and it just immediately went through. And so I was very fortunate to just kind of almost fall or happen upon that position. So it worked out for me very well. Right. Things tend to line up when you're well-prepared. So yes. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for sharing that experience. I think that will make it a little bit less intimidating for people (laughs) who are hoping to switch jobs in Japan. And just the final thing I wanted to touch on was the website you brought up. What was your Mm -hmm. experience working on that platform? Ah, so the Gakukujin website. Mm -hmm. So the Gakukujin website, honestly, it was just like filling out LinkedIn. You, everything's really straightforward. It's very easy to navigate and manage. You just open up, hit edit, fill in all the information and It also gives you examples of how to write things. So if you're not exactly sure, like for example, your strengths and weaknesses. So it'll say like, please fill out this box with your strengths. And it'll say, your strengths could be like this, like you have strong public speaking skills or, you know, so write upon that and give more details. So it actually gives you kind of like helpful hints along the way as you're filling out the form. And as soon as I, you know, hit save and make the profile live within a few days, I had actually tons of requests from companies. But again, just because you get a ton of you know, requests from companies, it might not actually be what you want to do. So if that's the case, don't give up, have hope. <laughs> have hope in that something that will fit you is going to um, like appear at some point. And, you know, even if you're using the Gyakukujin sites, I really recommend using a wide variety of different sites to kind of find not only waiting for companies, but also for you to take action to find something that's going to fit your kind of needs or your 
kind of desired career path. I just can't believe I wasn't aware of that website I have before, but I'll be sure to link that up in the description of the episode so the listeners can find it as well. Wonderful. Thank you for digging a little bit deeper into those things, even though we, I didn't warn you about that ahead of time. <laughs> no problem. No problem. If I'm talking too much, just let me know. <laughs> no, it's perfect. So just speaking a little bit to your career, do you have any advice mm-hmm. for people to maybe know ahead of time if a specific company or a job will be a good fit for them? Okay. So that kind of goes back to what I said earlier, really kind of deciding what you want in your career. So for me, the way that I did this was I had a goal and I really thought for any time I was thinking to change a job, is this the right step for me? And so I would kind of analyze it doing the pros and cons and, you know, really decide, is this the best step for me? And, you know, it was for me, in my case, it was positive for me to change jobs. So I think Whenever you're starting your journey for finding a career in Japan, I think it's best to start with yourself first and then start with the company. So the way that you can find out whether or not this company really aligns with what your goals are or really your career path in the future is first look at the website of the company that you're interested in. Definitely have to do that. Take a look at their mission statements and really see what are the past things, past activities or events that these companies have done. Um, Another thing that you can do too is like in the States, we have a website called Glassdoor. In Japan, they have similar websites. So you can actually look up kind of like the reviews from past employees of those companies. Now, it is important to note that sometimes there will be negative, most likely the negative will outweigh the good, but that should not deter you from actually taking a step to, if you think that company is really the path that you need to take, don't let what the negative comments say affect your decision too much. The reason I say this is because everyone is different. The way that we handle situations will be different. Your breaking point and another person's breaking point is going to be two different levels. Our stress kind of, the way that we handle stress is also different. And the way that we communicate is also very different. I feel like as an American, especially in a Japanese company, I speak up a lot more than my Japanese counterparts. I will bring up issues that I see and I will provide ways that I think that we can fix them. Where I have coworkers that might not say anything and they might just suffer in silence. So Whenever you're looking at these reviews, you have to take it almost with a grain of salt and really read between the lines. What is the actual issue? And is that something that you think that you can handle or not? Another thing that you can do too is, you know, just because you've joined a company doesn't mean that you are signed up to work at that company for life. So let's say you joined a company, but right away, you know, it's not for you. And I've actually had that experience before. I left a company um, after eight months of working there. And that's okay. It is totally acceptable to leave if the situation is not working out or if it's not really the best situation for you. So I think that's really important whenever you're, you're considering joining a company or leaving a company 
you get to decide whether to stay or whether to go like to leave. So I think that's, I think that's something that most people kind of forget about when they're actually thinking about this process. Especially if you're a younger professional or I feel like it's a little bit easier to get the sense that you're trapped in a job if you're abroad as well. You feel a little bit more constrained in some ways. So it's definitely a great reminder for people listening. (laughs) You can leave. leave. (laughs) (laughs) Most certainly you can leave. Great. So as you said, you've had some experience dealing with companies that weren't a great fit, but then also, unfortunately, with companies whose labor practices have been questionable. And you've even had to work with the Bureau of Labor to resolve some things. Would you mind going into that a little bit for us? Yes. So as I mentioned, I did have to leave a company after only working there for eight months. I first thought it was going to be a great fit. I was promised that I would be doing a certain type of work. But then when I got there, they told me, oh, we actually need you to do kind of training in a different location. But then there was no real deadline for when that training was going to end and switch over to the actual position. And I was hired mostly for a more kind of office type of work, whereas they wanted me to train in a completely different environment, um, totally different type of company, actually. It was like a separate company that they wanted me to train in. And, you know, as a young professional, I thought, okay, well, this is my first real job after, you know, teaching in Iwante, so maybe this is the normal thing. So I did it. But then as I I was doing this training, I slowly noticed like they kept adding on more tasks and different things that were not a part of what my job was actually supposed to be. And finally, at one point, they were like, oh, hey, we actually need you to do this job now. And it was something that I had no skills for. I was not certified to do it. And it was going to be a liability. And I immediately said, no, I was like, I cannot be put in a position where I am liable for the safety of others if I'm not certified to do that. So I actually immediately contacted the president of the company. (laughs) And I was like, we need to have a talk and a sit down actually, to really discuss what's happening here. And so we actually, you know, we talked, I said, you know, you hired me for this position, and I've done the training now for several months, but there was never a clear definition of when I was switching over to the real position. And I said, you know, I'm not comfortable doing these other tasks because I'm not certified for them. And I do not want to be liable because if something did happen, I would be the person that was responsible. So eventually that the president of the company actually immediately was like, okay, from tomorrow, you're going to be at that location. You will start working there. So I immediately switched over and I thought it was going to be fine, but same thing. They started piling on things. One time we were in a meeting and the, the new location actually had a cafe in it and the cafe manager quit the day before. And in the mor- morning we had a meeting and they were like, oh, we need a new manager. What's going to happen? And then the president said, oh, don't worry. Rosa's going to take care of it. I had never heard about this. I had never was never briefed. Um, <laughs> and same thing, they started adding on more and more. And it, again, I was told I needed to do something that I was not certified to do. And the breaking point for me, actually, because I had been 
very teetering back and forth. Like, I think I'm going to have to go. I actually had went back to America to visit my family. And unfortunately, my aunt passed away suddenly. As soon as I actually arrived in America, I got off the plane and my family was like, we have to go to Georgia now. So we drove <laughs> after a 16 hour flight. I had to get in the car and we drove another eight to 12 hours to Georgia. <laughs> so the, the thing though was my company, when I contacted them and I explained the situation, you know, my family member has died like unexpectedly. And my family, unfortunately, we actually had to take care of it. Um, my aunt's children were not able to do it. So my family, my mother and my grandmother and I had to take care of everything. And I explained this to my company and I said, is there any way that I can get a few extra days? Because my flight is the day of the funeral service. And they said, no, you have to come back. And for me, a company that kept telling me that we consider, you know, our workers family and that we're very family oriented company, that was a smack in the face for me. And I immediately was just like, I can't do this anymore. And so I ended up talking to my senpais of the company and asking kind of what to expect when I tell them I'm going to quit. And because I had heard a lot of not good kind of conversations behind the scenes before. So I was like, okay, I need to know what's going to happen. And I was pretty much told that they were going to try and not pay me for the last several months of my work. They were not going to probably pay me transportation and instead try to find me money. So I learned all of this. I immediately took my contract. I took all the evidence that I had. There was a lot of things happening within the company and I took everything and I immediately walked into the, the labor bureau, bureau of labor and I went up to the help desk and I was like, is there anyone I can talk to? I have a situation that I need, you know, assistance with. And I was very fortunate. The actual person that I could speak to was there at the time. Really, you're supposed to call and make an appointment. Did not know that at that time. Um, <laughs> but we learn, you know, learn from trial and error. But I went in, I talked, and eventually I was able to solve my situation. And I... Honestly, that was probably the best decision was to go to the Labor Bureau. And I think that's another thing too, as a foreigner living and working in Japan, a lot of people probably don't know that you can get help. You can ask, is this correct? Is this really okay? Because there are some things that are not okay. But as a young professional, you might not know that that's actually not acceptable in Japan either. So I think that's that's a big thing too, is just knowing that's available and that you can get help from, you know, outside entities, I guess you could say, is very important to know. Because you hear a lot of stories about people just kind of putting up with that sort of thing until they've already well past their breaking point. And then they just, yeah, to put yeah. it lightly, they just blow things up and everything gets out of control. But <laughs> if you can calmly prepare yourself, get organized, be strategic about it. It yeah. sounds like there are plenty of resources available to deal with things well, which yes. is great to know. Are yeah. there any other things you think people should know about working with the Bureau of Labor in Japan? Anything you can think of off the top of your head? 
One thing I would say is, you know, you might be worried that um, by going to the labor bureau, it's automatically going to inform the company. That's not the case. Kind of the process that happens actually is you will talk with the main person, the person that's in charge of that section. They will introduce you to kind of like a detective. And the detective will actually go through your kind of like evidence that you have and your contract and everything that you provide them. And they will highlight and they will tell you actually, this is illegal, this is illegal, this is not okay. And then they will actually tell you at the end of your meeting, here are the steps you can take. One, we can either sue the company and take action against them and they will be fined. Two, you can try and approach them and resolve it yourself. And if not, we will step in. Third, you can do nothing. And we can also wait to hear from you. So in my case, I was very worried that by me talking to the labor bureau, that they would immediately talk to the company and that I could face kind of almost like power harassment or something in the workplace. So I was very worried about that. And I expressed my concerns to the labor bureau people and they said, no worries, we will just wait for you to give us the green light. And in my case, I actually took all of the information that they had told me I had taken the highlighted forms and everything. And I again went to the president and I said, hey, I would like to quit on this date. And he immediately tried to be like, no, you're, you have to give 90 days notice and you have to do all this and jump through hoops. And I said, well, actually, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so it was very nice to be well prepared for that conversation and to really know what was okay and what was not okay. And I think that's what actually helped to make that kind of tough situation just very less stressful, I guess you could say. Of course, the situation itself is very stressful, but because I was prepared, I was able to handle it in a very effective way. And I just, yeah, I think it's very important to be prepared and to do it in a very professional way as possible, not to hurt feelings or anything like that. And honestly, after the conversation with the president, he actually said, well, I hope we can work together again in the future, which I thought was funny, but <laughs> no. It's funny because no, but also that's sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much for breaking that down. That even yeah. just listening to you lay that out relieves my anxiety. And I hope that I won't even be in that situation. But just knowing yeah. that you can even just have somebody kind of coach you through how to deal mm -hmm. with it yourself if you just want to make sure that you're prepared. You're maybe, yeah. maybe they haven't done things that you think um, warrant legal action, but just knowing how to handle things correctly is definitely yes. a great thing <laughs> to have in your mind. Yes. Well, and also like in my case, I went in and directly spoke with them because I wanted to show them, you know, the proof of things that I had, but um, they do have also a consultation like hotline. So if you just have a question, a brief one, you can just call the number and just be like, hey, this is happening. Is this normal? Should I, you know, come consult you guys more in detail or anything like that? So there are not only the Labor Bureau, but also there's a company called Hello Talk. They also can help you with things like that too. So there are several places or groups or even companies that are there to support you and help you in your career if you're ever in a tough situation. Mm -hmm. That's so great to know. And 
Are these services only available in Japanese? Does it depend on the location? Most of the areas in Tokyo, they do have multiple language services. So it actually lists everything on the website. If you just even type in, you know, Tokyo Labor Bureau in English, um, it'll actually pop up an English page for you. Same thing as HelloTalk. They have an English page available as well. And I do know that they do have other languages, but it might, the day might be different for consultation. So that's important to always check the information on the website. So shifting gears a little bit, thanks for going、yes. so in depth on all of that information. But no problem. How do you tend to approach communication when you work on such diverse teams in Japan? You specifically are not just working with Japanese people, you're working with kind of the more international department. So, how does that look for you? Oh, as I mentioned before, everyone is different. And that's especially true when you're working with people from different backgrounds, like ethnic backgrounds, different countries, just because the culture is different. And I think working with people, From different backgrounds, you actually have to go into each situation with a willingness to listen, really be open to the conversation that's being had, and really be mindful of what you're saying and what the actions you're doing and how is that going to affect people. And another thing, too, is to just because you've said something, that doesn't mean it was understood the way that you wanted it to be. So, it's very important to confirm what you said was actually understood in the way that you meant it to be. There have been times when I have said something that maybe someone on my team took it a different way. And luckily, though, my team were very open. So, as soon as something comes up, just because we've constantly said in our groups, we're all different, we all will you know, take things a different way. And You know, not everybody is a native English speaker, and that's fine. So, as a team, though, we have to work together in order to make sure we don't have those miscommunications or misunderstandings, even. So, you know, it's very important to just be like, oh, no, I meant it this way, you know, and just go from there. So, if you have a willingness to really go into each situation and be mindful and truly just listen to what they're saying and try to understand, I think you'll have no issues. It's only when people kind of get stuck on, well, it's always been this way. We can't change it. Or I don't understand you. I'm not going to try to understand you. That's when issues kind of arise within the workplace. So I think if everybody in your team or your coworkers would have that willingness to you know, work together, understand each other, then I think there's really no problem. Or difficulties, I guess you could say, major ones working on a very diverse team. And just thinking about how often communication breakdowns happen with people speaking their first language in the same cultural context. It, <laughs> yes, <laughs> just be aware that <laughs> working on diverse teams will add additional challenges, but also, in a sense, give you more opportunities to be more explicit, to communicate more fully with each other. Yes, 100%. Does that Dynamic with communication change at all once Japanese members of your team are involved? Is there any shift there? It's kind of the same thing. Now, I will say that the way that we think is very different. So, 
I feel that the global members, um, we have a pretty similar mindset to some degree, whether it's a task and we say, oh, this would be great if we could do this this way. Yeah, we can all agree. Yeah, I see the benefit of that. But with the Japanese side, it might, that's kind of where we run into where um, it's always been this way. We shouldn't go off track. But I feel that if you are willing to kind of talk to them and just be like, well, we understand that it's always been that way, but we have an idea and this may actually benefit the company more or make the process overall easier for everyone. Would you like to hear about it and just consider it kind of thing? So again, if you're willing to kind of meet halfway and just communication is key. If you just try to communicate what you're trying to accomplish, most of the time people will listen. Most of the time. And sometime, of course, you'll have those that just don't want to listen. But that's in every case, not just, you know, foreigners or Japanese. It's, it's everyone. You have some people that are willing to work with you and some people that aren't. 100%. <laughs> Have you had any unique challenges or opportunities that have stemmed from being one of the few or in some cases the only foreigner in a predominantly Japanese company or team? Yes, definitely yes. <laughs> one thing I can say, it's a memory that sticks with me. So my company, we do a lot of events and we also do food and banquet and things like that. So one time I was asked to attend a tasting for an event that was coming up that was going to have a lot of foreign customers present at this event. So in this room filled with Japanese chefs, Japanese managers, I was the only foreign manager and the only foreign staff at that meeting. So immediately, because this event was more towards a foreign audience, the kind of head person of that event immediately said, Rosa, you taste everything and tell us your opinion. So all of these chefs are watching me try food and, you know, oh, that's, that's a little funky or, oh, that's too sweet or, oh, that's too salty, you know, and try to give them the best advice that I could, which is, you know, very hard sometimes, especially if you don't have a background in, you know, the culinary arts. <laughs> In that case, I was very, I felt very fortunate to be able to kind of be that kind of person that could give some insight to what foreigners might like or might not like, and just to give them the best advice that I could in order to make sure that the audience would actually enjoy the meals that they're putting out. So yes, there are definitely times when I am put in a kind of position where I'm picked out of the crowd in order to kind of have my voice heard over others. I'm not sure if that's the best way to say that. <laughs> but definitely among the Japanese managers and things like that, I do occasionally get asked to do things or at least have my voice heard more so than others. I do find, yes. So another topic that you have said that you're especially passionate about is finding balance in your life. So could you tell us a little bit about what that means to you when it comes to finding work and social and life balance while living in Japan? Yes. 
So I truly believe finding balance is key to, you know, just success and happiness and fulfillment in life. So for that, for me, that means when work is done, work is done. (laughs) I don't check my work email. I don't check my stuff just because you need to just have a chance to kind of reset yourself for the next day. So whether that's, you know, maybe you have a yoga class you want to go to, or maybe you want to go just for a walk in the park or, you know, read a book. It's important to find something that just kind of helps you to reset after the day and just not think about work. It really needs to take your mind off of it. So for me, I actually started, you know, Japanese dance class. And that's the way I reset for the week. And um, I think that's truly important because it can also help you reduce stress, you know, doing something that you like doing and just forgetting about work for a couple hours until the next day. I also think kind of finding that balance also can help you kind of take on new tasks or challenges that you want to. So whether or not it's in work or outside of work, Just having that kind of off switch can really help you kind of figure out if you really want to do something new or even take on new challenges, whether it's like getting a different major. Maybe you want to go back to school or take online classes. Maybe you want to get certified in something. It's just that off switch is so important. That way you can have balance outside of work because our life is already consumed with work, you know, thoughts of work for eight to nine hours a day, your whole day shouldn't consist of work. It should be filled with other things, things that you find enjoyable and just live your life at the same time. (laughs) You specifically mentioned not checking emails after work. And have you ever experienced any pushback from employers when it comes to setting those work boundaries? I have had one company that was actually the company that I left in eight months that constantly said, you need to check emails every day, every hour kind of thing. And even when you're not working, I don't believe that's okay. Now, if you have an important thing that really needs seen to, that's, you know, working with somebody from abroad, maybe on an occasion, but truly there shouldn't be anything that requires you to do anything outside of work hours, unless it's a project that you've already know ahead of time that you're, you're going to have to do something for. So honestly, any other company I've worked for, I haven't had anybody be like, oh, you absolutely have to check this. You absolutely need to respond ASAP. It's just when you're working, you're working. And when you're done, you're done. And if you happen to check it, good for you. (laughs) So basically what I'm hearing is don't be afraid to set those boundaries. Cause I feel like, especially if you're living abroad, you kind of want to make sure that you're pleasing the people around you, because if you're in a good situation, they've worked so hard to support you and adjusting to right. this new place and everything, but yes, <laughs> set your boundaries yes. and do what you can to maintain them. Yes. 100%. <laughs> so can you think of any specific example of a communication breakdown that you've experienced that you think is due to cultural differences in Japan? There was something I think in the office once where I think somebody asked me to maybe do something, but I had understood it as, oh, can you do this later or something or vice versa? Maybe I had asked somebody to do something later, but really they had meant for it to be done 
right away or maybe go pick up something. And it was, it was just small things. There's nothing ever been anything that's like major miscommunication kind of thing. It's more simple things like, oh, well, I, th- I was implying that now kind of <laughs> thing, but I can't really think of anything too major. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. It's great to hear that it's not always just going to be a struggles because it sometimes it gets framed as, oh, you'll face all of these obstacles in Japan that you'll just have to keep fighting through the whole time. It's like, no, it's not right. the case if you're open to learning and growing while you're Truly, in Japan. That's, that's the best advice is just have a willingness to learn and listen. And if you can do that, you know, you'll go far. And you won't have as many obstacles, you know, you won't have so much stress. And I think something also that really will help you too is like wherever you're working, try to build up kind of like the camaraderie with your coworkers, really get to know them, invest your time into them and create friendships. But again, have those boundaries. (laughs) Yes, and maintain them. (laughs) Yes, and maintain them. So if you were speaking with somebody who is going to go to Japan for business and they could really only know one thing about the country or its culture ahead of time, what would you choose for them to learn? Listen more than speak is what I would say. That is, I think, the most important thing is just truly listen to what is being talked, like told to you or spoken to you and really try hard to understand the way or the, like the process that they're thinking of, um, because it is different. It will be different than what you're used to. I think also just as a, as a add on to that too, you might want to try speaking Japanese to them, just, you know, konnichiwa or, you know, arigato. And people will appreciate that. They'll, they'll very, they will feel very thankful that you're trying to communicate to them in their own language, but don't be upset if people turn around and immediately speak to you in English. (laughs) They too are trying to make you feel comfortable and maybe Japanese isn't your second language or maybe it's just, you know, something you might struggle with. So don't feel upset if they immediately turn around and speak to you in English because they're trying to meet you halfway. So if you just try to meet people halfway, you will go far in Japan. So I've really enjoyed this conversation. It was great to get to hear more about your experiences and dig into more specific tools and ideas that people can work with while establishing themselves in Japan. But are there any questions you wish I had asked you? Anything we didn't go as deep into as you would like? Anything that comes to mind? I don't really think so. I think, I mean, we covered quite a bit of the topic. <laughs> Is there any, for me, I can't think of anything off of the top of my head. You've definitely given my listeners plenty to think about and learn more about after this conversation. So thank you so much for your time today. Yes, no problem. Thanks for having me. And I know we talked about a lot of kind of deep things, but I I really want to encourage people to, you know, take the step if Japan is for you to really take that step and come here and try it out. I know we talked about a lot of kind of deep things, but it's not all bad. There is tons of good here. There are great people to work with. And it's just, again, finding the thing that makes you happy and, you know, find fulfillment in what you're doing and 
there's nothing better than that if you can do that every day. Well, thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to today's interview on the Business Success Japan podcast. If you want to learn more from Rosa Eldridge, be sure to check out all of her links in the description of the episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and share it with a friend, colleague, or connection on LinkedIn to help spread the perspectives and information shared in the podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using, and also leave a rating and review if you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please check out my link to the new coffee page to help keep me well-caffeinated and making content. As always, feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. I'd love to hear from you directly, so if you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find the link to do that in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondou.